Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps, and then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a 1,000 at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. NWRetention.com. That's NWRetention.com. Use the promo code JESSE. Get you 10% off. This is The Jesse Kelly Show.
What if Batman was real? He kind of was for a while. Allow me to explain. Mexico is an interesting beast, is it not? I have always found the place fascinating. I will be honest. I know many of you probably don't care for it or only read the bad headlines. I love Mexico. I've always thought it had potential to be the next superpower in the world. I still think that. Sounds absurd right now. I get it. It's a narco state. It is. It's corrupt. It's crappy. I get that. But it has two oceans, a border with two oceans. That's a big deal. Ton of natural resources. Pretty solid family unit environment that matters. Good food. Good vac- Great vacation destination. Hot women. Mexico is awesome. I love it. Love it. Shoot, half my half my best buddies are Mexicans. But it's been a disaster for a long time. <laughs> and and what fascinates me when it comes to history, when it comes to all the things we talk about, the stuff that I love is how all of our stuff overlaps. It all interweaves with each other. There's all this part is always in some way tied to this part. That's stuff that's totally unrelated. Completely unrelated. We just did a big show on Cortez, Hernan Cortez, that stud. Yeah, a little, little kind of a murderer and rapist, but but also a brave, brave dude. And how he took down the Aztecs. Well, what happened post Mexican conquest? Spain took over. As I've told you before, it's amazing how limited Spain's power is today when you look at the height of Spain's power. Go, go, I I bet you you can find a map on it somewhere. Maybe I'll try to find one and throw it up on the Twitter page at Jesse Kelly Show. Spain's power at its height is shocking. Just in the Western Hemisphere, it's like everything. It's like all of South America, Mexico, half of America, half of United States is everything. So they take over Mexico and they're running Mexico as those powerful European countries did. And eventually they ran into some issues. One of those issues, tell me if this name sounds familiar, Napoleon. Just did an episode on him, too. Do you remember when Napoleon was beating the crap out of everybody in Europe? We talked about that. Yeah, well, Spain got in on that action, too. And eventually, Spain simply lacked the resources to hang on to Mexico. Well, what was Mexico like under Spain? It sucked for most people. It was a bunch of rulers, governors, whatever you want to call them. A few wealthy Spanish people. You've all seen Zorro. Have you not seen Zorro? It was a bunch of wealthy Spanish dudes lording over the Mexican people. Eventually, the Mexican people have quite enough of it. Spain has to eventually say, sayonara, we out. Peace. Spain takes off. Mexico now belongs to Mexicans. Only 
It still sucked. And I mean, it sucked bad. You see, what people know their whole lives is so incredibly powerful. And that's going to be a theme on the show today. What you have cemented in your conscious consciousness is a powerful, powerful thing. What you know to be true. What you have learned your entire life. Well, in Mexico, what did they know? They knew rich, powerful governors and landowners and everyone else got treated like crap. And that didn't change when the Spanish left. All of a sudden, it was a bunch of hacienda owners. And hacienda is a fancy way to say a big ranch. Only they redefined big ranch down there. There, It's not just, you know, horses and some chickens. It, it was mining operations. It was extensive. These vast I mean, plantations, you would call them. And one dude would run it. And virtually everyone else in the country would work under these dudes running it. And they were, by all intents and purposes, slaves. Many were classified as sharecroppers, you know, come out, work my land, and I'll give you a house. But they were slaves, treated like crap. Anytime the wealthy and powerful people wanted to come prey on you and your family in any way they wanted, they would do so with no legal recourse whatsoever. And that was from the early 1800s when they got their independence until the 1900 area. Roughly, that was how it worked. And then a man is born, and his name is Jose Doroteo Arango Arambula. Don't even attempt to remember that name or pronounce it or butcher it the way I just did. You will know him as Pancho Villa. Pancho Villa is one of those poor kids. In a poor family, parents were share- dad was a sharecropper, and his dad dies when Poncho's 15. Poncho has some basic literacy, but immediately drops all that school nonsense because he has to take care of his mother and siblings. And he does, works his fingers to the bone at some of the hardest jobs you can possibly imagine to take care of his family. Until one fateful day. His sister. His teenage sister. She catches the eye. Of a wealthy. Hacienda owner. He has his way with her. Obviously unwillingly. Pancho Villa. Because he's Pancho freaking Villa. At 16. Hunts the dude down. Shoots him dead. Um, now he's in a bit of trouble, isn't he? Because the poor did in no way get to rise up against the wealthy people who ran all the politics there. Pancho is now an outlaw. He steals a horse. He takes off into the mountains. And Pancho is now an outlaw for real. And he joins with other outlaws stealing, killing on occasion. But... Pancho is a little different. The dude, got to be honest, one of my favorite historical figures, just a little different. That whole 
steal from the rich, give to the poor Robin Hood thing. Poncho lived it. He wasn't, look, he wasn't this saint by any stretch of the imagination, but Poncho really did it from an early, early age. He would steal cattle and go give some cattle to the poor people so they could eat. If he found out a business owner was abusing people, uh, pretty good chance Poncho would just kill him and give all his stuff to the poor people. Poncho, let me be clear, was a violent, violent human being that viewed killing as always an option on the table. It's always something we consider. However, don't mean he was all bad. Now, he's just an outlaw until, well, somebody begins to take him under his wing. You see there's a revolution building. They have the the big cheese in Mexico at this time. His name is Diaz. And Diaz has been the head of Mexico for like 90 terms. Now, that's obviously an exaggeration, but Diaz is the only one in charge. Diaz is obviously on the side of all the wealthy landowners. There's one power structure until a man named Madero comes along. Hang on. Jesse Kelly. You're listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. Animals are special, aren't they? I mean, don't we all have at least some kind of a heart for animals? And it's time to get involved with a great organization. It's called Delta Rescue. And what they do is they run the largest no-kill and care-for-life animal sanctuary in the world And they've been doing it for a long, long time. Leo Grillo left Hollywood 40 years ago, and he's dedicated his life to Delta Rescue. He's dedicated his life to these animals. And he has incredible stories. One time he saved a family of 21 dogs abandoned in the wilderness. It's such an incredible story. They made a documentary about it called The Rescuer. It won awards. And you actually get that documentary if you go to deltarescue.org slash jesse and get involved. It's time to get involved. This is the organization to choose. Deltarescue.org slash jesse. Madero is an interesting guy. Now, I'm not, as you know, going to overwhelm you with names, especially not Mexican names, but there are some names you're going to have to you're going to have to bear with me today. I'll try to keep it to 4 or 5, which I know it's about 2 or 3 more than I normally do. But the Mexican Revolution is a complicated bit. Pancho here's about this guy Madero. At the same time, a man named Gonzalez, don't worry, aren't many, aren't many more names. A man named Gonzalez takes young Poncho under his wing. Gives him that sit-down talk. Hey, do you want to steal cattle your whole life? Or do you actually want to help the poor people you love? Poncho loves this man, Gonzalez. Poncho listens to this man. And Poncho is 
extremely, extremely talented. Understand that. He served for a little while, a very little while in the Mexican military, so he learned some military discipline, some tactics. Poncho understood how to lead men and endear men to him and understood discipline. And Gonzalez takes in young Pancho Villa, and essentially they decide, look, this Madero guy who's running against Diaz, this guy wants what we want. Diaz, you know, he's the guy in charge. Diaz is the one. He's got all the Hacienda guys with him. Diaz is running stuff. Madero runs on, hey, 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 it's time. It's time to let these people be free. It's time to let all the Mexican people prosper. This is this is garbage. Obviously, Diaz does not like this idea. Eventually, Diaz gets to thinking, you know, I said we were going to have an election, but I'm going to lose that election. You know what? Madero's going to jail. And then it's on. Then Madero, who wanted to solve this politically, decides, okay, it's revolution time, baby. And the Mexican revolution kicks off. And Pancho Villa is a stud. I can't and won't go into all the various victories and battles, but Pancho Villa is a stud. And even on a larger level, Pancho Villa gives back. Pancho Villa was constantly, constantly letting money and materials pass right through his hands, making sure virtually all of it went right to either his men or the poor people in the area. And like many revolutions do, like pretty much all revolutions do, it attracts great people. It attracts Really bad people. And it attracts people who are great at the beginning and get bad really quickly. And and understand this. It can happen to all of us, can't it? Do you know anybody in your life who all of a sudden gets some money or achieves a great deal of success and they change? They change for the worse? No, I'm not talking about that normal kind of change. Ah, Johnny doesn't even want to come get blackout drunk anymore on Monday nights. He's changed, man. No, he's successful now. He he has he has obligations. I'm talking about someone who turns into a legitimately bad human being when they get a bunch of money and success. You know, you know people like that. I know you do. I do. Of course, everybody does. That happens to people. You can join the Mexican Revolution to lead men in battle. And eventually. I mean, yeah, it's a revolution and we're here to give back to the people, but I have all these guys in charge and there's that town over there and I mean, we could liberate them or we could just loot the whole place and take all the money and women for ourselves. Not Poncho. And not only that, Poncho didn't let that happen under his command. You would, if you were one of Poncho's men, and you looted or abused the people, Poncho would have you shot on the spot. On the spot. Gone. And his legend starts to grow. And it starts to grow. 
and it starts to grow. And eventually, Mr. Pancho Villa with Madero and all the others, they win. Madero is the big cheese in Mexico. Woo! We finally, finally are going to have some justice for the people. We are finally going to have, you know, opportunity distributed. Uh, Not really. Madero makes a mistake, and I need you to pay attention here. Maybe he felt like he had to. Maybe he was just weak. Maybe maybe there was nothing else he could do, but Madero takes over. He's the man. And he keeps all of the corrupt people Diaz had around him right where they were. Right where they were. Now, that's a big, big, big problem. Poncho actually pulled Madero aside personally at one point and said, these bunch of dandies are going to be the end of you and me. What are you doing? You kept everybody in charge. And one of those people in charge was a man named Huerta. Huerta hated Pancho Villa, had previously fought against Pancho Villa on behalf of Diaz. Huerta wanted Pancho to die, but eventually decides he's going to take him in instead. You know, I guess Madero likes the guy. I'll take him in. Tries to make Pancho a brigadier general and understand Huerta bought off lots of the revolutionary guys. Oh, hey, we fought a revolution. You fought a revolution against me and my people. Okay, I get that. No big deal. I'm still the head military guy now. How would you like to be a general? Maybe have a personal staff. Little salary, little little house on the beach somewhere we can go deep sea fishing in Cabo. I don't know if they did that back then, but it just sounds sweet. And that worked a lot. Understand, it's a revolution. A revolution is mainly fought by the have-nots. When the have-nots start to have a little... You can lose them. You can lose them very easily. I grew up poor. I'm tired of this. I'm fighting on behalf of the poor. I will die for the poor. I will kill for the poor. The poor this, the poor that. Uh, You'll never catch me selling out. Uh, Here's a million dollars. You know what? That sounds good. See you, poor. I'll be on my yacht if you need me. And there was a lot of that. Buying people off with position, with money, with power. Only you didn't buy off Pancho Villa with a brigadier generalship. Pancho's like, yeah, sounds good. And Pancho was still Pancho. Huerta hated him for it. Eventually, some say they framed him for the crime. Some say Pancho did it of stealing cattle. I think we can all assume Pancho was probably most definitely stealing cattle. And, a, and Huerta gets him thrown in jail and has him lined up for the firing squad. Poncho starts writing the big cheese, Madero, and saying, Hey, bro, uh, remember who your friends are. These guys want me to die. Madero? Hey, Madero, anything? And Madero doesn't let him out of jail, but he does stop the execution. At the last minute, they say Poncho was actually stood up in front of the firing squad when the telegram came from the Mexican president saying, do not kill Pancho Villa. But they left him in jail. Except it's Pancho Villa and he didn't want to be in jail. So 
Pancho Villa is going to find a way out of jail. And oh boy, does he ever. Hang on. Ebb sleep has changed lives. I, I mean, that sounds so dramatic. It sounds so cliche. But if you are somebody who struggles with sleeplessness, you know what it does to you, what it does to your mind, your body, your energy level. I mean, aren't you a worse person when you don't sleep? Maybe, maybe you're just fine. I'm a worse person when I don't sleep. I'm mean. I'm, I'm not me. I, I can't think clearly. It's awful. But Ebb Sleep has changed that because Ebb Sleep isn't sleeping pills. It actually targets those thoughts racing through your head. It's a wearable device that applies continuous cooling to that forehead, which calms your thoughts and puts you asleep and keeps you asleep. Try an Ebb Sleep. Now, go to tryebb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Don't forget to use the promo code jesse at checkout. Gets you 25 bucks off. Poncho is a charismatic human being. He's so charismatic. He wants out of jail. Has a good idea. He should probably get out of jail. He befriends a clerk who works at the jail, not a fellow inmate, a clerk who works at the jail, gets this guy so on his side, the clerk eventually smuggles him in a suit, essentially to make Poncho look like a lawyer, and the clerk walks out the front door of the jail with Poncho Villa dressed up as a lawyer. Poncho escapes to America. Poncho is not persona non grata in America. Understand that. Poncho was smart enough very early on, and this continued forever, to leave Americans alone. Well, I shouldn't say it continued forever. We'll get to that in a minute. To leave Americans alone, to leave America alone. He would sell goods. He'd steal cattle and sell them in America. He'd buy guns from America. Pancho Villa was well thought of in the United States of America. He escapes to America and not a moment too soon because Huerta eventually, remember the, the, the bad guy who Madero wouldn't fire? Yeah, he eventually has Madero assassinated and takes over. Pancho Villa does not do well with his friends being killed. And he certainly does not do well with his mentor, Gonzalez, being killed. And, well, Pancho Villa rides back into Mexico, and he's ready to kill somebody. And here's the deal. Pancho didn't have resources. <laughs> he didn't have 
anything. He rides back into Mexico. I'm not making this up. With eight dudes and some sugar and some coffee, and they all had rifles in 4,000 rounds. <laughs> Only your Pancho Villa, and yeah, you're starting a revolution again, and eventually he does. And Pancho, it turns out, is a beast. He's a master of organization. He's a master at getting people on his side. As I told you earlier, protecting his men, taking care of his men. And Poncho, it turns out, military strategy-wise, very, very, very good. Only Poncho's also very, very, very aggressive. His men are mounted. He will ride right into the teeth of it. Eventually, after a long, long, long campaign, he actually wins. They get word to out. Pancho Villa has done it, except the Pancho Villa saga is not over. It's not over by a long shot. New guys take over, and I'm going to stop with the names now because you are probably a little bit confused at this point in time, as is natural. Highly recommend you go read his story, learn about his story. But Poncho, Poncho only knows aggression. Poncho only knows going after people. Poncho only knows rebellion. But, you know, in Poncho's eyes, he was always right. You see, they defeated Huerta. And one of Poncho's fellow revolutionaries takes over as being the big cheese. Only he and Poncho didn't really get along. There was a rift there. And he figures out, you know, I'll just pay off the rest of Poncho's guys because we won the revolution. What's Poncho even talking about anymore? And he does. And now Poncho Villa, now he's back to being an outlaw after all these years of revolution and all these years being friends with the United States of America. America sold him arms. And now Poncho's on the outs and President Woodrow Wilson, we are in World War I era now, President Woodrow Wilson decides no more arms for Pancho Villa. No more support for Pancho Villa. We are now going to support the Mexican regime that's in place. Well, you're Pancho Villa. That's going to be a problem for you. Pancho Villa's men attack a train. It's a train in Mexico, but it is a train that has Americans on board. Pancho Villa Claim Now, I should say he claims he did not authorize this, but his men pull the Americans off and execute them. That's a big, big, big deal. Pancho Villa also attacks Columbus, New Mexico. Maybe you've heard of this. Maybe you haven't. He wants the arms there. He's trying to arm up his revolution. He gets bad intel saying there's only a few troops there. It turns out there are a lot of troops there, and it turns out Pancho, maybe a little too in love with his own reputation, does not realize this is not uh, this is not some poor Mexican suburb. This is the United States of America, Jack. And Columbus, New Mexico, may look like a sleepy little town, but everybody has a gun because this is America, baby. And they roll into town trying to cause trouble, and soon they're getting shot at from everywhere. Like, oh my gosh. These Americans are insane. 
<laughs> Poncho takes some heavy losses. Woodrow Wilson has had about enough. He sends General Blackjack Pershing with 5,000 men into Mexico to go get Poncho Villa. But here's the problem. One, even though he hated Poncho Villa, the new head of Mexico really resented America being in Mexico, as you can imagine. Two, Pancho Villa may just be an outlaw in the mountains again, but the people still loved him, and they remembered everything he'd done for them. And Black Jack Pershing, talented as he was, never got him. Never, ever, ever got him. Should be noted, remember how everything overlaps, everything interlocks? One of the young officers under Black Jack Pershing during this Mexican expedition eventually finds himself hunting for some of Pancho's banditos. This young officer wore some old school Mexican or, or Mexican old school six gun on his on his hip, an old school revolver. These Mexican banditos all of a sudden ride out around this building and they're riding right towards this officer who stands there like a stone, pulls out his Mexican revolver and guns them both off of their horses. He then straps their bodies to the hood of his Jeep and drives them back into the army base where he celebrated. Do you know what that young officer's name was? George S. Patton. Remember, it all interlocks, people. All of it. Well, they don't get black. They, they don't get Poncho, and Blackjack eventually has to leave because it's 1916, and we decide we're going to go to World War One. Poncho's now there. New president gets taken down. Finally, there's a new guy in charge, and Poncho, in his 40s at this point, has decided, you know, I'm done with this revolutionary life. The new president, realizing Poncho's popularity. Gives him one of the cheriest deals ever. You want to talk about a deal that really, really, really worked out in Poncho's favor? The president gives him amnesty? And it's not like he's just like, all right, hey, man, you're free. Go uh, uh, go pound some nails or something somewhere. Gives him amnesty? Drops a truckload of money on him? And allows him to keep... 50 of his best and closest men on and pays them as his personal bodyguard and gives him a ranch, gives him a big hacienda. Pablo essentially retires with the ultimate golden parachute pension plan. He's living the high life, right? That is how you end your life as a Mexican revolutionary. You are chilling on your hacienda. Honey, bring me a margarita. Life ain't bad. But here's the thing. You're still Pancho Villa. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show. Pancho Villa, chewing on his Mexican hacienda. 
enjoying his, I think he had like five wives or so. Poncho was yeah, a little bit of a ladies' man. A little bit. Um, well, there's a presidential election coming up, and you're still Poncho Villa. And the current president, he's the one who hooked you up, you know. Amnesty, here's a hacienda. Yeah, keep your bodyguards. Keep You just go do you. So obviously you're Pancho Villa, and you are going to be grateful, and you're just going to stay out of politics the rest of your life. No. Pancho Villa gives an interview with an American journalist, and some say it was calculated. Some say it was off the cuff. Some just say he was just being honest. Poncho essentially tells this guy, retired. I could raise tens of thousands of troops with the snap of my fingers. That is not good. There were rumors swirling that he was going to get involved in politics in some way. And so Poncho via, well, he has to take a trip to town one day. He throws a few of his bodyguards in the car with him. Pancho Villa does not go without bodyguards. He's, well, he's murdered a lot of people in Mexico. And he heads to town. Streets are virtually deserted in the town. Something right out of the movies, right? Kind of weird. Man, street vendor, runs up in front of Villa's car and says, Viva Villa! At which point, seven gunmen raise up and fill Via's car full of holes, including putting four in Poncho's head. Poncho's dead. Obviously, it was coordinated ahead of time. The street vendor who yelled Viva Via, he was supposed to yell Viva Via if Poncho was in the front seat and Viva Via twice if Poncho was in the back seat. This was all paid off, very professional hit. Poncho died. We all are certain things. And once you get to a certain point in your life, I'm not going to do that thing where uh, people don't change, but I'm kind of going to do that thing. At a certain point in your life, you are what you are. And in so, so many ways, it can be the reason you succeed. And in so many ways, that same thing, That reason you succeed is the reason you fall. How many times have I sat here in front of this microphone and told you stories about people or battles or wars or revolutions, and there's some stud out there, the Napoleon, you know, who's always doing the daring thing. And then eventually the daring thing finds you in Moscow in the wintertime. That thing you are is so often that thing that brings you down. Because people have a hard time, everybody, it's human nature, have a hard time changing, have a hard time adjusting, having a hard time acknowledging, one, times have changed, 
Two, maybe I was wrong. Three, maybe, just maybe, maybe I need to change course. Maybe I need to pick a new direction. There is so much going on right now that is explained by exactly that. I'm going to tell you something, and I've avoided this because it's just been a vague annoyance. But I'm going to tell you something, and I'm going to be real, real frank with you, and it's going to make you mad. Donald Trump is embarrassing himself. I don't know if you're on his social media accounts. But Donald Trump has this clearly very personal rift with Morning Joe and Micah, this show on MSNBC. They used to love him. Now they hate him. They hate each other. They trash him every day. He trashes them every day. I don't care. I don't care about Trump trashing the press. None of this matters to me. And Donald Trump has gone off recently about some girl whose death was ruled accidental. Now Trump is claiming it's essentially murder and kind of accusing Joe Scarborough of murder. It's really bizarre. I don't know the details. I don't care. It's not about that at all. And it's not about protecting them. I don't care. Um, we, have, we have 50 million Americans out of work. That slapping around the media with stuff like that was so much funnier and more endearing when it when unemployment was at two percent. Brother, it's not endearing anymore. It's not endearing anymore. But here's the problem. Hang on. Boomer Naturals has really, really, really changed things around my house and, and other people I know because the products, as you can imagine from the name, are natural. I don't like putting chemicals in my body. Now, you know, you listen to the show. I'm not some health freak. I love a good fast food burger as much as the next man. But when it comes to medications and or, or just basic treatments and things like that, I like natural things. No matter what it is, no matter what I put in my body, I prefer something that was grown in nature. I don't trust all this man-made garbage. Well, that's what you get at Boomer Naturals, natural things. And they have face masks right now, good ones. 92.2% antibacterial protection. That is incredible. They have adult sizes. They have kid sizes. They have it all at boomernaturals.com. So go boomernaturals.com. Use the code JESSE20 at checkout. Gets you 20% off every single time you shop. I'm worried it's going to cost him the election. It's not endearing anymore. People are scared. People are hurting out there. 
I don't want Donald Trump to lose the election, and I don't want him screaming about cold case murders from an MSNBC host when 50 million Americans are out of work. My word. But at the same time, he's Poncho on the Hacienda. He can't help himself. He's got to do what he does. And that's what has me worried. Because it doesn't matter that I disagree about the lockdowns or anything else. We cannot, going into this disaster we're going into, have President Pudding Brain. We cannot. We need Donald Trump there. We need him deregulating the economy. We need Donald Trump there. And somebody, please, attempt to do the impossible and attempt to get the reins in on him. Nobody gives a crap about your, 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 whatever, feud with an MSNBC host right now. Nobody! My word. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. I have, well, I've been given a nickname. I think this one's going to stick. People have taken to calling me Jesse the Oracle Kelly because of all my correct predictions. What, Chris? Yes, I came up with it. Yes. But if we say this enough on the radio, people will believe it. So from now on, in your emails to the show, jesse at jessekellyshow.com, jesse at jessekellyshow.com, please address me formerly by my nickname if you're going to spell my whole name out. It's not Jesse Kelly. It's Jesse the Oracle Kelly. It could be Oracle Kelly. Yeah, I have no problem with that, Chris. Oracle Kelly. You know what? That has a nice ring to it. Oracle Kelly. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. 877-377-4373 if you want to call in. 877-377-4373. Do not forget... Before I get to my newest little prediction, and it's a doozy, Chris. It's a good one. And don't forget who's right all the time. It's a heavy, heavy burden to be filled with so much wisdom. But before we get to that, remember, if you miss any part of the show, any part, Chris gets it up in podcast form immediately after the show. It's available on iHeart, Google, Spotify. It's available on iTunes Keep leaving those five-star reviews on iTunes. Subscribe. Keep talking about how handsome I am in the comments because it is the most pants-sweating funny stuff I've ever read in my life. Now, are you ready for my new prediction? Because Whitmer is in Whitmer's in the news again. Whitmer is the governor of Michigan. She is that kind of hot governor of Michigan 
who has absolutely carpet bombed her own state with these lockdowns. And she keeps extending them and she keeps extending them and she keeps extending them. And now she's in a bit of a pickle. Um, You see, she's told everybody, stay home, stay home, stay home. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. Apparently the family, the Whitmer family has a boat. Memorial Day rolls around. Family wants to wants to get the boat in the water. Well, they got dimed out. Apparently there's this place called North Shore Dock and this is how it went. Somebody got on the North Shore Dock Facebook page and said this, quote, "This morning I was out working when the office called me. There was a gentleman on hold who wanted his boat in the water before the weekend." Being Memorial Day weekend and the fact that we started working three weeks late means there's no chance that's going to happen. Well, our office personnel had explained to this man, and he replied, I am the husband to the governor. Will this make a difference? And now Whitner's in some hot water. And I want you to get this. That's why politicians do what they do. Do you understand how bad it sucks being a politician? If you look at all that it entails, it's really an awful job. I, I, I guess it's because I don't like, I, would, I just don't do that kind of thing. So the rest of it never appealed to me. I've had people tell me before, you know, what... Do you wish you'd won your congressional races? Because I ran for Congress twice and lost twice. And I tell people, you could offer me 50 grand right now to switch from what I'm doing, TV and radio, to go be a congressman, and I would turn you down on the spot without hesitation. What, Chris? Chris just said, what about a million? In that case, I'll see you in Washington. Go ahead and fit me for my suit. Well, I don't understand why that's controversial. Everybody has a price. Everyone has a price, and people act as if they do not. Now, everyone doesn't have a price for everything. That's not true. There's nothing you could give me that would make me, you know, give my sons up for adoption. You offer me all the money in the world. So, no, not everybody has a price for everything, but everybody has a price for most things. So let's 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 put some qualifications in that. No, I wouldn't go to Congress for fifty grand for a million. Oh yeah, baby, you bet I would. As another quick side note, on my other side note to my other side note, this is why I absolutely laugh when you see people in conservative media in some way, whether they be writers, whether they be you know pundits. And they'll tell the, they'll call this guy a sellout, or this guy's a grifter, or this guy's this, or this guy's that. And almost always, the sellout thing is is a, is aimed at somebody who's achieved an upper level of success. Always the the writer for for you know conservative jerkwater, he thinks the guy who just landed a TV gig is look at him sell out. What a sellout! Almost always, and I mean 99% of the time, the term sellout is used, and you should just interpret it as, I'm so jealous that's not me. You hear this, you hear this about Sean Hannity all the time. 
Sean Hannity. And by the way, I'm not I'm not a consumer of his stuff. I just don't have time. I don't consume any media anymore. So I'm not some Sean Hannity super fan. I've met the guy once. He does have an amazing reputation as being one of the most kind human beings in the industry possible. He does an incredible reputation. I've heard that from multiple people. But be that as it may, because Sean Hannity's gone all in for Trump and he's doing the the super, you know, no matter what pro-Trump thing, whatever the reason, you'll have these people who write for this conservative publication or that one. And these guys are making, you know, whatever they make. Hundred grand. Sean Hannity's such a sellout. Sean Hannity's this stupid grifter. Sean Hannity flies in private jets. You can say I wouldn't sell out. That's easy to say when nobody's offering you the check. Here's $20 million in a private jet anytime you want to fly somewhere. Now do you feel like selling out? I'm not defending selling out. I'm just saying sellout's a strong thing. Anyway, back to politics. It sucks running for office. It's awful. Now, maybe other people are just used to it. Maybe I'm built differently. I hated it. I hate asking people for money. I hate asking people for anything. I don't like that. They they made me for TV. They made me get a personal assistant. Now, I've never had a personal assistant, obviously, in my freaking life. They didn't offer us those in the Marine Corps, Chris. They also didn't offer them in construction. I know that's crazy. I've never been offered one before. And when they offered me one, I thought they were messing with me. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. And they're like, no, we really want you to have a personal assistant. And I said, why? Well, in case we have to move uh, this camera here or this light this way, in case, you know, you need somebody to go grab you something. I said, my, my feet and fingers work just fine. I, I can, I've got all that covered. Well, we don't want you to have to worry about it. We're, we, we, it, it, was to, it was totally baffling to me. However, however, you have to ask for things when you're running for office. You have to ask for things all the time. If you're a congressman, you're constantly asking people for money. You're constantly, you know, you're either fundraising or you're attending these boring hearings. Have you, have you ever been or at least watched on TV one of those congressional hearings? Believe me, it's not all sexy. It sucks. It's boring. I actually had a congressman I knew. He looked at me when I was, because I was waiting to meet with him after the fact. I had to go check into one of those things. He actually looked at me in front of everyone else and did that thing where he pretended he fell asleep in his chair. <laughs> it sucks. Hang on. I'll explain. Hang on. Feeling a little stocky? Follow, like, and subscribe on social at Jesse Kelly DC. I'm about to save you a little bit of money. Jesse two zero. Remember that promo code because it's for Boomer Naturals. And here's the thing. When you go to boomernaturals.com, I keep hearing this from people. They'll go because of the face mask thing. And then they'll see all the other products and think, oh, I want to try that. Oh, I want to try that. Oh, I wonder if this promo code works. Let me clarify. The promo code Jesse two zero 
It gets you 20% off everything every time you shop at BoomerNaturals.com. And it definitely works for those face masks. And I know a lot of you don't want to wear the face mask. You're not wearing a face mask. That's fine. I'm here to tell you you're going to get in a situation where you're going to be required to wear one. I am in Texas. I've already run into several situations where they have made me put one on. Go to BoomerNaturals.com. Get your face mask. Look at all the other great stuff they have. Use the code JESSE20 at checkout, 20% off. Being a politician sucks. It would suck, but I'm explaining to you why they do it. You have to ask for money all the time. When you're not asking for money, you're in boring meetings all the time. When you're not in boring meeting, boring meetings, what's happening? You're getting yelled at. People are always mad at politicians, and they should be because most politicians are scum. I'm not telling you to be happy with the politicians, but there's so why would anybody do it for the money? They make 165 grand a year. Chris, look up what the governor of Michigan makes. I bet you it's not even that. 165 grand a year, don't get me wrong, is more money than I've ever made in my life. It's good money, but it's not my whole life sucks money. It's not for the money. Plus, they have to live in D.C. Lots of these people half the time. D.C. is so expensive. I've lived there, and I was making good money, and I thought it was good money before I got there. And then I get there and find out we're pretty much below the poverty line. You can't afford to live in these expensive places. So why do it? Well, what Whitmer just pulled, what Whitmer's husband just pulled is why they do it. Access. You know, these people who are congressmen, senators, many of them, and I'm not trying to be mean because most people aren't, many of them are not talented. They're not special in any way whatsoever. They're not talented. They're not special. They get screamed at all day long. They're constantly in the public eye. They're constantly having to beg people for money. They're constantly having to go to events and talk to people they don't really care about and pretend to have to care about them. They're in boring meetings. They're re- that life sucks, right? Well, to a point. Do you know they've been on private jets? Do you know they don't pay for steak dinners? Do you know when Memorial Day weekend comes around and no one else's boat gets in the water? They're used to having their boat put in the water. Why be a politician? Power. There's a reason power is so intoxicating. There's a reason people can't ever seem to walk away from it. It's it's always blown me away. I guess I guess. I just look at life differently. I don't know. Like like Hillary Clinton. Joe Biden, even better example. What are you doing if you're Joe Biden? You were in the Senate for 30 years. You were then vice president for eight. You have, you're a millionaire. He's not a ton of money, but you're a millionaire. You have a great life. Even if you're a Democrat scumbag, you have a great life. Why are you running to be president of the United States of America? You're old. You're tired. 
You've had a great life. You should be sipping on a sweet tea before you golf every single morning. Come back. Have a bourbon with your buddies. Enjoying all the things wealthy, powerful people do in retirement. Do you know what Joe Biden's Rolodex probably looks like? Do you know how hard it would be for Joe Biden to get a free weekend at some mansion in the Hamptons? I guarantee the snap of his fingers, he can dial someone up and be like, oh, yeah, Joe, come on up to my place. I'll tell you what, I'll fly in some fresh lobster for you. I'll get the boat put in the water. You and the missus can cruise around, have a bottle of wine in the bay. I'm talking the good life. It's all laid out for him. And instead, he's running for office again. (laughs) It's because they can't give it up. They can't shake that power thing. So you think that's the first time Whitmer or her husband have called in a favor? Nah. It's just the first time somebody posted about it on Facebook and busted them. That's why they do it. Which brings me back to my theory. Remember, Jesse the Oracle Kelly. Remember, I would prefer to be addressed by that from now on. Here's my theory. Gretchen Whitmer thinks she's about to be president of the United States of America. And because of that, she's tanking her own economy on purpose. You see, people have been curious about these governors who are still having these horrible lockdowns, but you can easily explain Cuomo in New York. Now, granted, it turns out most of it's his fault, but they've been most hammered by the virus, and it's a solid blue state. It's one of the most blue states in the country. Cuomo's not losing power. Even if he doesn't, even if he can't run for re-election, I don't know his election status. Cuomo's always going to be in power some way there. It's a blue state. It's a, I don't care how mad people get. Or Newsom in California. Why would Newsom do this? Californians are so mad. Buddy, they ain't that mad. Go look at the last election results. Newsom, if he wants, is going to stay in power in California forever. Whitmer's in a much different situation. Michigan is the most purple of purple states. So if your next election is always up in the air, why would you do something that is so unpopular? Well, here's why. You want to be Joe Biden's vice president. You want to be Joe Biden's vice president. And the best way to do that is make Joe Biden think you're going to help him become president. And the best way for Joe Biden to become president is destroying the economy. And you can yell all day long that people are going to blame her. Um, No, they're not. Yeah, people in Michigan will. But the people who decide elections, not you, not me, the Rust Belt swing voters who voted for Obama twice and then turn around and voted for Donald Trump, these are not people who pay close attention to politics. They just happen to vote in November. These are not people who know who the governor of Michigan is. I was having this argument with someone the other night. We were in a restaurant And me and this guy were going back and forth. I was bouncing my theory off him. And I said, okay, let's find out. So I started asking people in the restaurant, are you going to vote in November? And if they answered yes, I asked them, okay, who's the governor of Michigan? One person could tell me who was going to 
who the governor of Michigan was, who was going to vote in November. One. She tanks the economy. A grateful Biden makes her his vice president. Joe Biden gets elected by the skin of his teeth before his brain turns into tapioca pudding. He's forced to resign. Gretchen Whitmer is the first female president of the United States of America. Why is she destroying her own party or her own economy? Well, that's why. It's the political play. And here's the thing. If you are a ruthless sociopath who only cares about power, and that's what most politicians are, it's the smart play. I'm not saying it's right. It's wrong. I mean, destroying lives. But it is the smart play. It's a, it's a smart gamble. It's a very smart gamble. Okay, well, I'm going to be done being governor because they hate my guts, but I could be president. With the snap of my fingers, I could be president. Joe Biden is not going to last four years as president of the United States of America. Nobody pretends that he's going to. Everybody knows it. He's functioning like this now before he takes over the most stressful job in the country. Joe Biden is going to break down about five seconds after he walks into the Oval Office, and everyone knows it. Joe Biden's vice president is going to be president if Biden wins that election. That's why Gretchen Whitmer's tanking her economy. You heard it here from the Oracle. <laughs> Sam Colt was a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating human being. I've almost opened the show with him several times before. So this next guest, I am very, very, very much looking forward to. Allow me to welcome in Jim Rasenberger. He's the author of Revolver, Sam Colt in the Six Shooter That Changed America. Jim, why even write a book on Sam Colt? What appealed to you? I mean, you know this in Texas better than anyone, but Sam Colt changed this country in fundamental ways. Uh, and he was also just, hey, an incredibly fascinating guy in, in himself. But, but uh, the revolver, first of all, played an incredibly important role in opening the West, starting in Texas and then moving out across the Mississippi as immigrants and others started moving out to California and Oregon. Uh, and also it... Uh, very un- little-known fact is the role that it played in industrialization in this country. The world we live in today with machine-made, manufactured, uniform parts really all begins with Sam Colt. Explain that. I, I, I don't understand how that's possible. Why? Well, all of the uh, 
it, it came out of the gun manufacturers. I mean, the world, you know, people think it started with Henry Ford, the assembly line, interchangeable parts, all of that. It really goes back to the Connecticut River Valley, where you had all the gun manufacturers uh, in the early 19th century. And then Colt comes out of this with some of the expertise, and then he develops it and perfects it. And uh, so, what, you know, what's important is that every piece of his revolvers was exactly the same as every piece in every other revolver of the same make and model. So if one piece broke, you could just slip in another. This made revolvers faster to make, easier to make, cheaper to make, and easier to repair, too. And now you think of the world we all live in, you know, from the computer in front of me to the automobile out front. We all depend on interchangeable parts, uh, not knowing that we owe that really to Sam Colt and some of his fellow uh, arms manufacturers. What was his background? Where did he come from? Where did he get all this idea? Well, he came from Hartford, right in the center of, of the arms industry uh, in the early part of the 19th century. Uh, and then he gets, um, he gets kicked out of school at the age of 15 for firing a cannon um, off of a hill in the middle of the night to celebrate <laughs> the 4th of July. So he does that a few times. A month later, he ends up on a ship to India as a sailor. He's now 16 years old. <laughs> And it's on this voyage to India that he gets the idea for the revolver, and he carves his first model out of pieces of scrap wood on the ship. Uh, and then he comes back home, and he's got this model in mind, but now he wants to turn it into a real gun. And, um, and to make money to do this, he launches out on, a, I think, what's one of the splendid adventures of his, his life, is uh, it's sort of a two-year journey around America selling hits of nitrous oxide, laughing gas, that is, to audiences. He'd go into towns, he'd run out of hall, take out an ad in the newspaper, uh, and then invite audiences and charge them 25 cents. And this is where he got his R&D money to develop the revolver. Hold on, hold on, hold on. How did they even store and distribute nitrous oxide back in the day? How's that even possible? <laughs> I did, Thank you for asking. I did quite a bit of research into that. He would, you have to heat uh, ammonium nitrate. Um, he would do this on stage and then collect it in a gas bag. It was called a gasometer. And then it had a kind of like a, like a valve on it. And people could kind of, it was like a water pipe a little bit. And people would come up and inhale it. And they would laugh hysterically. And the more they took, the more belligerent they would uh, become. So there were interesting articles of people getting into fistfights at some of these performances. And then Colt would have to get out of town before... Somebody caught on to him. Uh, yeah, so he was, this is, he, he was crazy. And he was doing this, by the way, um, during a pandemic. This was a, the cholera pandemic of 1832. Really terrible event in American history. And um, his way of dealing with it was to get everybody high on nitrous oxide laughing. Uh, now, he was a smuggler? When, when was he a smuggler? No, yeah, well, he... <laughs> Well, this was during the Crimean War. Uh, look, Colt never did anything the easy way. He, he always found a way to get what he wanted. So um, he wanted to get sell arms to Russia, but uh, he was making, meanwhile, had a factory in England, which was at war with Russia. So he had to do this all on the down low. Uh, his, some of his guns, revolvers, got sound in bushels of, of cotton and taken from him. Uh, 
he was always up to something. It was, you know, smuggling or bribing U.S. congressmen to extend his patent. Uh, you know, he wasn't he wasn't a guy who who lived completely within the law. I love this guy. All right. Why was the revolver so so instrumental in settling the West? People say that all the time. What does that mean exactly, Jim? Well, you know, the, the pivotal moment in showing that was in Texas, uh, and it really was with the Texas Rangers. You probably know this. Before the revolver came along, the te- Texas Rangers were handling Mexicans to the south and also Comanche Indians to the north. And the Comanche were really amazing fi- fighters mounted on horseback. They could travel about 20 or 30 miles an hour, and they had a wonderful weapon in the bow and arrow. They could fire about 20 or 30 of those a minute. Now, before the Colt Revolver came along, the Rangers, they had good guns, but they were all single-shot guns, meaning they had to be reloaded after every shot. Even the best of Rangers took half a minute to reload one of these guns. So you can see the problem. You fire your gun, the Indians would wait for you to fire, and then as you're reloading, they swoop in, and you're pincushion by the time you reload. So one, June 8, 1844, for the first time, the Rangers bring out this new weapon, the Colt revolver, and it changes everything. When the Indians swoop in, uh, the, uh, the Rangers can respond with a multi-firing weapon of their own, and they give chase. And that's the beginning of a sort of a big change in the West, because then immediately after that, you've got the era of manifest destiny. Uh, you've got a lot of people heading out West. Gold is discovered in California. People are going out to Oregon. And the one thing they all want, knowing that they're going to meet Indians and also each other out there, uh, they want a Colt revolver. So Colt starts to get wealthy pretty quickly. Real quickly, because I want people to buy the book and find out how his story ends and all that. But will you say you're the one who did the research on it? What would you say made Sam Colt tick? What was he really about? He was, I've mentioned some of the not-so-great parts of his personality, but what you have to admire about him was his audacity, his incredible determination to do what he set out to do, and then most of all, his perseverance. Uh, he had a, as many ups as he had in life. He had a huge number of downs, and you'd think any normal person would have fallen down and, and given up. He never gave up. He kept pushing, and I think the greatest example of this, he got quite ill near the end of his life, at the beginning of the Civil War. But even sick as he was, he, responding to the war, doubled the size of his armory, increased output tremendously. He had amazing energy, amazing determination. Jim Rosenberger, author of Revolver, Sam Colt and the Six Shooter That Changed America. Jim, where can people get this thing? It's at Amazon.com, uh, Barnes & Noble. You can go to my website, JimRasenberger.com, and we've got links to all of the places you can buy it, as well as some new images and, uh, and new material. Oh, man. Jim, sign me up for this thing. I love that you wrote this book. Jim Rasenberger, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you so much, Jesse. Really appreciate it. Be good. That story about the cannon has always killed me. (laughs) If you're going to get kicked out of school, that's how you get kicked out of school. It's the 4th of July, baby. Are we or are we not celebrating? And you could just see, you could just picture him getting called into the Dean's office, doing that whole thing with like George from Seinfeld. Was that wrong?
If somebody had told me that was against the rules, I have to be honest, I never would have done it. <laughs> Hang on. Catch up. JesseKellyShow.com. You need a good night's sleep. And here's this lie we tell ourselves. I know because I've done it. You think, well, I didn't sleep last night and I didn't sleep tonight. uh, So I'm miserable. But I guess what? I'll, I'll sleep tonight. And you do. You take a sleeping pill or maybe you're just so exhausted you pass out one out of every three nights and you think, meh. That's all I need. I've caught up. Uh, that's, that's not how the body works. That's not how the mind works. There's no catching up. You need a good night's sleep every single night. And ebb sleep can give that to you every single night. Do you know how much your life would change if you slept good every single night? I am here to tell you it is incredible. Get an ebb sleep. Go to tryebb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb dot com slash jesse use the promo code jesse at checkout get yourself 25 bucks off go get an ebb sleep i bet seals are delicious can't you see seals being delicious, Chris? Why not? You're so stupid. Chris is such an idiot. He said fat is flavor, but too much is overboard. You're so stupid. You know, I'll tell you why you're wrong. My buddy, uh, he's well off. He's doing well now. Didn't grow up that way. Very, very proud of him. Did, does very well for himself. And I... I don't do very much well when it comes to being in the kitchen. I mean, that's why I got married. But I can make some great eggs in various ways. Everybody knows I make the best burgers in the history of the world. And I'm I'm pretty good with steak. I have a great, gr- legendary steak marinade that I stole from online and took credit for. What, Chris? What? You don't have to you don't have to come up with your own ideas. As long as you're willing to steal from other people. Do you see? That's why I have so many benefits. When you have no soul and no moral compass, you can accomplish anything. There's nothing holding you back. So my buddy, he he texts me a picture one day of what's called A5 tenderloin. I know that that is going to mean absolutely nothing to many of you. You can Google image it if you want to know what the picture of an A5 steak, just A5, Google image A5 steak. And it's essentially, it's it's some of the rarest meat in the world. It's also absurdly expensive. I think, what, Chris? Yes, I think it's called Wagyu. I think, but it's, I think, here's the thing. I don't know that much about it. I think some of it's considered Wagyu. Some of it isn't. It's a very, very, very rare thing. And when I say expensive, I'm almost positive he bought, it was a four pound tenderloin, I think. That may be wrong, but I think it's right. And it costs like $450. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. What, Chris? 
Chris just said he found it online on Costco, three pounds for over $600. Yeah, when I say expensive, but extremely rare. And the deal is, and you'll realize this when you Google image search it, it's essentially fat. It looks, if you Google image search to picture the state, it's essentially white. It's it's red and white, but the marbling in it, it is, it is, look, they take a cow and they make that cow really, 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 really fat. I'm assuming because the steak is all fat. I mean, that cow has to never, ever move. It looks like a feminist by the time they put that thing. What, Chris? What? And... He has me. He has me marinate half of it because he he gives me the st- essentially he sent me the picture. I never did finish my story. Sometimes I forget about where I'm going. I never finished my story. He texts me a picture of it and says, "If I buy this, will you cook it?" Now again, he didn't ask me to split it with him because I can't afford it. <laughs> but who's going to turn that down? So he texts me a picture. If I buy it, will you cook it for all of us and we'll do a big get together? To which I'm like, "Uh, yes, <laughs> of course I will." Now we get it, or I went down and picked it up. One, I had to take the four-pound tenderloin right back to the meat shop where I bought it because it's so fatty, you have to trim it big, big, big time. And when I say trim it, I mean four pounds turned into two pounds like that, which is kind of a ripoff when you think about it. But at the same time, they handed me a vacuum-sealed bag of all the fat they trimmed off it and said, even the guy was emphatic about it, he said, do not waste this fat. Do something with this fat. It's essentially the greatest fat in the world. Find a way to do something with the fat, which you're not going to have to twist mine. We're going to figure out what to do with it. Hands me the steaks, at which point in time I have them in my possession, and I make up my great marinade, and then I'm looking at it, and I call my buddy, and I'm like, bro, we, dude, we cannot marinate this steak. It's too perfect. You don't put a steak like that in a marinade. You want to marinate some flank steak? You want to marinate a a, a T-bone you bought at the grocery store. That's fine. You don't marinate this. And he was, we were going back and forth. He's talking about how great the marinade is. And I'm like, you're right. I'm amazing. It's not just that I'm an Oracle. I have an amazing marinade. I stole. And I was, so we go back and forth like that. We come down on the, on this side of it. I'll split it in half, half all marinade. Half will just have little steaks out of, little mini steaks. And when I say mini steaks, I mean, uh, no, not quite that. Not silver dollar, two silver dollars, two or three. That's about the size of them. He took the ones that we had, the the little silver dollar ones, the ones that I didn't marinate. And, yes, the ones I marinated were incredible as well. Incredible. The marinade's a daggone good. You could eat a shoe like that. But he took the ones we didn't. And he just pan fried him. Cast iron. It was, I believe it was one minute, one minute. It might have been two minutes, two minutes. Pulled him out. Little salt and pepper. Nothing else. Little salt and pepper. Pull him out. You've never tasted anything like this in your freaking life, dude. I can't. It tasted like. It tasted like meaty butter. You didn't need. You didn't need a knife. And people uh, people say that all the time. Oh, you can cut it with a fork. You didn't need a knife. My sons are steak freaks, but they're 9 and 11, so I didn't want to waste it on them. 
So I just went out and ate it right in front of him and told him how good it was. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding. Hold on one sec. I'll explain. You have no idea how to take on the IRS. Neither do I. That's because that's what they do, right? They're professionals at what they do, taking your money. You are not a professional at trying to stop them from taking your money. You do something else. And if you owe them money, if you owe them $10,000 or more, I promise you, they're not going to forget about you. We like to do this thing. I know I'm guilty of it myself. It'll go away. They're not going to go away. They're not going to forget, and they will take everything you care about. They're going to take your business, your home. They'll garnish your wages. Maybe they already are. Get a hold of Paramount Tax Relief. You actually might qualify for a CNC tax program, and if you do, you get to stop making payments while you're in the program. Yes, Paramount Tax Relief is that incredible. Give them a call today. 800-816-8749. 800-816-8749. Paramount Tax Relief. I make the mistake of taking my one little piece of of A5 steak and I take it out because my boys are playing outside in the pool. And I call them both over. And I tell them, all right, you can have one bite because I want my boys to experience it. And they ate all my steak. Little selfish jerks. I'm I'm still furious about it. Part of me is furious about it and part of me feels like I've really handicapped them now. I'll be honest, I've had steak two or three times since then, which is the standard, you know, T-bone from H-E-B. You know, the, the standard grocery store T-bone that the rest of us buy. And it's good. It's very good. It's not the same. Part of me wishes I'd never even tried it because I've been to the mountaintop. Which brings me to a great parenting lesson I'm about to teach all of you. All of you who have sons. You ready for this? I'll explain it to you in just a second. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. I got two sons. Now, they're fairly close in age, 22 months apart. So they're rough. They're boys. That's how boys are supposed to be. And and they're always, you know, hurting themselves in various ways like boys are supposed to do. And my youngest last night, 
Apparently, they were wrestling around, and he skinned up his elbow pretty good. Wife gives me a call. It tells me he skins up his elbow. We're out of Band-Aids. Will you stop and get him some Band-Aids on the way home? I pull into the pharmacy and I buy him some of the Disney princess (laughs) band-aids. He was mortified. He refused to wear one, told me he'd rather just tough it out than put that on his body. And his older brother said of making fun of him, put on your princess band-aids, which I said, I don't know what you're laughing about. That's the same thing you're going to get as soon as you get hurt too. And that's how you parent right there, people. Speaking of parenting, Chris, I need your opinion on this. Even though you're not a parent and you're stupid, I need your opinion. We just got an email from the school. My oldest is going into sixth grade next year. This is going to be the first year of organized football for their school. I understand this is Texas. Everyone else has been playing football since they're three. My son has never played football ever. My son doesn't have any interest in football, doesn't have any interest in watching it, doesn't have any interest in playing it. This is my 11-year-old. However, he is also an athletic beast. Hates sports, of course, because that's how it works out. But big, strong, fast, big hands, big feet, coordinated. Uh, Not just just like coordinated how he moves. Hand-eye coordination. I, I've thrown him baseballs before, and I've he's caught them barehanded and rifled them back at me. But no interest in sports whatsoever. I want to make him play football next year. Chris, is that bad parenting? Am I a bad parent? And I should I should clarify, it was brought up by the wife because I told her earlier this morning, she brought it up to him, and he's adamantly against it. He is really against it. Do I make him? I do, right? One year. One year. The the thing is, I'm not all about that forcing your kids to do crap you want them to do endlessly because you're trying to live your long-lost high school dreams. That's not what I'm doing. I think he could really like it. Chris says, I'm pushing him outside his comfort zone, and there's nothing wrong with that. And that's where I'm at. I want you to do things that make you uncomfortable. I like the discipline that will come with it. He's such a physical kid. He's always running and leaping and really. I mean, I know you're thinking, well, he's a boy. No, 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 no. More so than others. I have two sons. I see the contrast. He is a physical kid. Chris says he's going to hate it. Here's the, here. I guess here's what I'm hoping for. And this may be painfully naive. You're welcome to call in and tell me if it is. 877-377-4373. 877-377-4373. Or you're welcome to email me, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Remember, I read every email. I probably will not respond. I get way too many of them. I read them all. jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Here's the thing. I'm hoping for this, Chris. Okay, he doesn't like watching football. doesn't want to play football. He's going to go out there for practice and it's going to be, it's going to be running and it's going to be, you know, push-ups, and it's going to be all these things. And he's probably not going to like it. I'm hoping for that one time he puts the pads on, runs into somebody at full speed and it feels good. Well, Cause that's all it takes, right? Is one time. It's all it takes is once. 
and you can get yourself hooked. Now everything else becomes worth it. And I cannot for the life of me decide, should I make him do it or not? I can't for the life of me decide. Chris says I should. I'm leaning towards making him do it. And again, at least one year. And, and this is the, this is this football program. I need to be clear about something before you send in your email. It sucks, which is what I love. It's what I'm, what I mean by sucks is I know many of you, you live in these areas where high school sports are deadly serious and their clock, they're laser timing 40 times and, and everybody on your high school. I mean, half your high school team is going to college on a full ride next year. I'll never forget this. When I first moved to this area in Houston, because high school football is so big in Texas, everybody knows it. We went to a, a big game locally between this local high school and that local high school. And they handed out programs for the game, like some high schools do. And on these programs, it had every player for every team. It had them listed, and it had their college commitments where they were going to play football on scholarship. Half, half of the players on each team were going to play on Division I scholarships. And the ones who weren't, and there were some, I mean, there were some Alabamas, some Texases, some Baylors on there. And there were some, you know, jerkwater schools, but going to play, these kids play. Believe me when I tell you, it is not like that, the football program I'm putting him in. There, it is small. It's a tiny little school we have them in. They're small. They're slow. They're gentle. What I'm saying is they're not going to they're not going to beat him to death. He's not going to walk on the football field for the first time against some beast who's been lifting 350 pounds since he was two. You know, it's just not it's not that way. There, anybody with real actual football ability has long since been pulled out of this school program and moved to a separate program. I'm not trying to be mean. It's fine. I wanted my kids to have, you know, a good education. I certainly wanted them to better have a better one than I did. <laughs> so that's what they're doing. So that goes into it, too. I know he's not going to go get murdered. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, I want him to get tackled and hit. I'm not worried about that. But no, there's not some, no, there's not some superhuman beast who's going to rip his head off. It's just it's not going to happen. I mean, honestly, at this point in time, I'm more worried about the other kids than I am him because he hits. <laughs> He's a big, strong, fast kid, man. He is a big, strong, fast kid. I think I'm going to do it. I just talked myself into it. Is that – I don't want to be – I have no problem, as you know, as, as I just explained from the pink Band-Aids, I have no problem being hard on them. I want to be hard on them. On some level, as a father, that's your job to be hard on them. She can baby him a little. I'm going to be a little harder on him, especially when it comes to things like scraping up your elbow. When it comes to things like sports, again, I'm not trying to push him into something for my own sake. I don't care. Believe me, I don't want to go to those crappy football games, but I want him to. I want him to experience sports, and I want him to experience pain. I know that sounds like bad parenting. I don't want him severely hurt, obviously. Pain helps. Pain helps you grow. I mean, all the things I've, I've gone through in my life, the most valuable ones hurt, man. They hurt. I kind of want him to do it. I want him to get cleared off his feet one time. Great way to learn that lesson. I don't know. 
You know what the problem is, Chris? I'm going to call my old man today after this, and I'm going to ask him, and my old man is not the one to ask because he's going to be like, yeah, we're not raising girls. <laughs> I already know what that answer is going to be before I even call him. <sighs> I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I've talked myself into it. All right. We need to warn about something, and we need to pay homage to something. Both these things need to be done, and I'm going to try to squeeze both of them in before we get to BK. BK skipped his regular Tuesday appearance. We have him on in just a minute. Hang on. First, before I get to our first news story of the day, (laughs) before I get to our first news story of the day, I need to address this. Rush Limbaugh says the, uh, this is a headline from Fox News. Rush Limbaugh says third cycle of cancer treatment is kicking his butt. I do not know Rush Limbaugh at all. I have never said a single word to Rush Limbaugh. Because I do my own show and I'm too busy, I don't, I don't listen to Rush Limbaugh. Obviously, I've heard his show. Everybody's heard his show at some point in time. One, obviously say a prayer for the man. Two, what an icon. Even if you're someone who hates him, you must acknowledge that, shoot, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, more than Anybody in the media world, Rush Limbaugh stood up and said, um, there's something called conservatism and it deserves a voice too, and I'll be that voice. You want to talk about the man who pioneered what I now do? So no, I don't know him. I'll probably never talk to him. I'll probably never meet him. But I respect that man. I respect that so much. Somebody stepping up, taking a big chance and saying, uh, everything doesn't have to be liberal. Do you realize how much of what you consume now, if you're somebody on the right, is in large part because of Rush Limbaugh? I could make an argument for you. There's no Fox News without Rush Limbaugh. And you're like, ah, he's not really involved in Fox News. No, but he showed Fox News. Um, How about some huge ratings if you provide one alternate point of view? One? The dude is a legend. And I'm look, I'm not trying to write the man's eulogy. Again, I don't know him personally. It's not about that. But I am worried we're going to lose him one of these days. And I just wanted to get that out there that I respect it. I respect it a lot. I respect the man. Completely, completely appreciate what he has done in giving a whole other part of America a voice who didn't have a voice. And I know... It's common, especially when you make a living doing what I do in radio and TV. That's that's how I make my living now, which is frankly unbelievable. But 
when you make a living doing this, it's so common to think, I'm so super special. I'm leading the way. I'm leading this. I'm leading that. We're not leading anything. I'm not, I'm not in charge of anything. I'm not leading some movement. My job is to make your day a little bit better for about 15 minutes a day. That's my only job. I'm trying to make your day a little better. I enjoy when you write and tell me, hey, you made me laugh. It made me think a little, made me laugh. That's it. It's not some leader. But all these people out there who talk about leading this and leading this and do it. Dude, Rush Limbaugh led everyone. You can convince yourself all you want that what you have is because of you and you did it all and you're so talented and you... Dude, you don't have squat, squat in this industry without Rush Limbaugh. That's all I'm going to say about that. It's enough of that crap, Chris. All right. Now, the Dow jumped 529 points. They say it's because people are optimistic about the reopening. And here's what I'm hearing from people. I don't understand why the stock market is soaring. The stock market is killing it. And yet there are 50 million people unemployed. You know, we're going to get on Carol Roth to talk about this more tomorrow. But understand, the stock market is not the economy. It is not the economy. It is parts of the economy. It is a prediction On what's to come in the future, it is not the economy. And there are, and I'm not trying to bring you down, there are some really, 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 really bad indicators out there. Here is the truth. So much of our response to the pandemic, not the pandemic, so much of our response to the pandemic has kicked the can down the road on the economic pain we're going to feel. Government borrowing huge sums of money, handing out huge amounts of unemployment, plus $1,200 here, and handing out checks to this and a bailout to this. But that only got you by for a month or two. Now we're getting to the point where those unemployment checks, a lot of them are going to stop coming. People are going to try to return to work and that job's going to be gone. That mortgage company that gave you a month or two long grace period, they can't do that forever and they're not going to do that forever. That landlord who gave you a grace period can't do that forever. And you know why? It's not because he's an evil robber baron, although he may be. It's because he can't do that forever either. Landlords are about to be demonized in the coming months as they start evicting people, but Landlords got bills to pay too. The landlord didn't buy that building and rent out those rooms just because he wanted you to have a place to stay. The landlord bought that building and rented out those rooms so he could make money. He owes money too to the bank. The bank is, hey, Mr. Landlord, um, you got to pay your bills. And you know what he's not going to be able to do? Oh, I know you want me to, but I just didn't think Billy should have to pay for his his rent again this month. No, 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 no. He needs his rent or you got to go. You see the avalanche that's still coming and that's just a small part of it. And what do we do? What do we do with the banks? 
I'm not talking about these massive banks. You know, they're always going to get by government bailouts, buying power, being able to get a loan. I'm talking about the mid-level to small banks. What do they do when people stop paying back their loans because they don't have money? And you haven't felt these yet, but it's coming. It's coming. Our pandemic response, it's going to be a disaster, man. I don't, I wish I had a sunnier way I could put that. Our pandemic response is going to be an unmitigated disaster. It's going to be really, really bad. I don't want you to cry in your Cheerios over it. I don't want you to get frantic over it because you can only do what you can do. But keep some money socked away. Just know that you're going to see so many things now like this headline and this is going to be the norm in the future. So I'm not saying uh, don't get mad about it, but understand this is the new normal. I have something from Jason Whitley this morning. Dallas is considering raising property taxes. Tomorrow, Dallas Council considers a resolution that would raise property taxes 8%. It votes on asking county to model what an 8% hike looks like. Dallas cited the disaster declaration as authority to raise taxes over the state caps. If you think that is limited to Dallas and Dallas County, I have a beautiful, beautiful Golden Gate Bridge for sale. I would love to sell you. Send me an email. I'll give you a rock-bottom price on it right now. You see, these towns, these states across the United States of America, they've weathered a couple months, and now... Now that profit loss sheet, it doesn't look good. And they're going to need money. And they don't make any money. Where do they get their money? They get that money from you. And they're about to bleed you dry. to rub it in here, but somebody slept well. And why did I sleep well? Well, I didn't just, you know, pop some sleeping pills. I didn't just get a new pillow. It's not just a new mattress, although I have all that stuff too because I value my sleep. The truth is, Ebb Sleep actually works. Ebb Sleep works. And it's not pills. It is a wearable device that provides continuous cooling to your forehead area putting you asleep faster, and keeping you asleep. You need that sleep every single night. Just because you got two hours last night and then three hours and then you knocked out eight doesn't mean you're good. You need good sleep every single night, and Ebb Sleep can give that to you. Go to tryebb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. And when you do that, do not forget to use the promo code jesse at checkout. Get you 25 bucks off.
joining us now, a day late and most definitely a dollar short, is former Air Force PJ and host of World News with BK. BK, all right, brother, before we get to the news that actually matters, why don't you go ahead and get it off your chest? I know you've been waiting 24 hours to tell us about this clearly mentally ill homeless person. I can't believe I let you do this. Please just take it away, BK, please. Okay, so Jesse, breaking news out of uh, Georgia. We have 55-year-old Kenny Whitehead, who is now, in addition to the murder and rape charges, yes, he is facing a charge of necrophilia because the police were called to the homeless shelter in Georgia. And yes, that's when they did discover that the woman was unresponsive and there's a great quote from the sheriff's office in here it says quote emergency services determined that the female had been deceased for some time end quote <laughs> and it's it's like so it's not like you know like and but there is that line jesse right like you know you're, everything's mutual and it's fine and then something happens your old lady has like a you know embolism and dies i mean you know that Where's the? You know where I'm going with this. I don't want to spell it out. I know this is AM radio. I can't really get too this jockey is, here. This is this is a family show, so I family know show. I know I'm going to regret asking this, but I it. How long was she dead? I know that shouldn't matter, but I'm asking the question. They said sometime. <laughs> Do we have clarification on exactly how much time? It, I'm guessing it probably wasn't that long because now he is facing murder charges. So maybe he like, you know, just beat it up and then he decided to, well, as long as I'm here and it's funny and it's funny because it's funny because that's not even my only necrophilia story that I have for the podcast this weekend, but I'll spare you the gory details. Thank you. Thank you. BK for sparing us. Thank you for sparing us the gory details. All right. Before we get back to America, What's going on in Yemen? For one, and I know you're going to laugh at this question, clarify, where even is Yemen? <laughs> Yemen is in the Middle East. And yeah, it's uh, it's been popping off lately. They're saying this is like a proxy war over there now between Turkey, Yemen, uh, you know, the UAE is involved. And it's just like this is one of the world's biggest catas- catastrophes, Jesse. And it's showing no sign of, you know, slowing down at all and saudi arabia is determined not to back down and it's just like a powder keg over there and you know the the, the conflict over there kind of have it has its roots and you remember the arab spring you remember all that that happened in like 2011 2012 well that was supposed to bring stability to yemen it never happened and now the houthi movement is in there and it's just a uh, huge uh cluster f if you know what i mean so like it's showing that it's the world's worst famine by the way that's going on over there right now too so and no signs of ending congress is starting to ask a lot of hard questions now about where they're getting the weapons that are killing civilians over there and i suspect they're going to be right back here and looking at the united states pretty hard Mm, explain what you mean who's getting weapons i know we have this revolt going on someone's in charge other people are or want those other people in charge, Iran and Saudi Arabia. Explain the players, explain the weapons comment. Well, it's so it's um it's not the easiest thing to describe in, in a quick in a quick radio hit, but 
you know, weapons uh, supplied by American companies for sure allowed Saudi Arabia to kind of pursue this war. Um, and, you know, it's not just Republicans are getting involved in now. And, you know, this, this is billions of dollars at stake, Jesse. As you know, the United States is the world's biggest weapons dealer. And this is, uh, you know, you're talking like, you know, tens of billions of dollars. And this has killed more than 100,000 people. It's considered the Arab world's poorest nation. Uh, they think this is like a volatile region, and this is just destabilizing it more. And American arms makers who sell to the Saudis for these weapons say, look, you know, we're not breaking any laws. We're accountable to our shareholders. We're not doing anything wrong. And because weapon sales to military, foreign militaries must be approved by the State Department, the companies themselves say, hey, look, we're not making the policy. We're just following the policy. So, but it's easy, you know, it's, it's easy to, it's easy to like look away when something's not happening, like right at your shore. So we'll see what happens. But um, I think this is just going to continue. Uh, Raytheon is, you know, they, they kind of moralized a little bit, but they went right back to supplying the Saudis as well. So B until the State Department ends it, it's just going to keep going. BK, how does that work? And I know you're going to have to really, really dumb this down for everyone, most importantly me. How does that work selling weapons to another nation. Can I just go start a factory tomorrow and start building, you know, s some AR-15s and just just sell off 10,000 of them to anybody I want? I don't understand how it works. No, you couldn't. You would have to you would have to uh you would have to become like registered with our government because it's illegally, you know, under the uh foreign we I think the Assault Weapons Act to export weapons like that. And you know, it's funny, foreign military sales rose quite a bit after Trump became president. Uh, they averaged about $51 billion a year during Trump's first three years, compared with $36 billion a year during the final term of Obama. But Obama also saw a big increase. So don't get me wrong. This is what this is a huge segment of American manufacturing is weapons and drone technology. Okay, now I didn't mean for Yemen to take up the whole thing, but why do they <laughs> care so much about Yemen? I understand it's this big proxy war, but why give a crap about a country that I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I'm assuming it wasn't exactly a booming, important metropolis before this whole civil war. No. So why care about Yemen at all? Uh, well, it's a humanitarian thing. It's a conflict thing. I'll tell you, the weapons manufacturers do care about it. I mean, they're making a ton of money from it, and that's what – so they are going to. And it's lobbying. Defense lobbying is a is another enormous industry. So, of course, they're going to lobby the people to keep selling their product. All right, BK, locally here in America, what are you hot on now? Uh, well, I've been watching the Minnesota riots. I was checking that out last night, Jesse. And let me just say, you know what? Nobody's a bigger supporter of law enforcement than I am. Let me tell you something. That was terrible. What what happened to George uh, George Floyd in Minneapolis? You have four cops basically standing on a dude's neck who's down on the ground in handcuffs, and they just killed the guy. <laughs> I mean, like if I did something like that overseas, I'd be charged with war crimes. And um, so people weren't too happy about that. And then the riots started going off all night and um, people were lobbying, busting out police car windows and throwing glass bottles at the cops. And that's going to provoke a reaction. And it really sucks to law enforcement because, Jesse, you know, yesterday when, or whenever the George Floyd thing happened, you know, there was a million other interactions between police and Americans and that went fine. You know what I'm saying? But that one. That was caught on video, by the way. 
it just it just kicked off a whole thing, and now uh, the cops in Minneapolis, you know, they're going to have targets on their back. I feel bad for them because they had four guys who you have four guys, and you have a guy face down in handcuffs, and you're sitting on his neck. The dude is neutralized, okay? And if you're if you are still that scared, then you have no business being in law enforcement. I've talked to many cops, and they thought that was terrible. Host of the World News with BK, former Air Force PJ. Do not miss the podcast. People write me all the time. They love it, brother. Keep doing what you do. I appreciate it, Jesse. I'm off to the beach. I'm going to add to the glorious tan, oh, and the gosh. ab veins are please. just popping right now, please. Jesse. It's please. not even it's, – it's almost too much. Please really. stop. And stop calling it tan ops when we're texting, too, okay? They're not tan ops, you meathead. I'm sending you so many nude pictures uh, later that you're going to get. Uh, I want to show you that my tan is all over. I'm blocking your number. World <laughs> News with BK. I appreciate Thanks, you, brother. brother. He, he's a terrible human being. And why does he have to come on our show, Chris, and talk about things like the dude in the... If we never talk about necrophilia again on this show, it will be too soon. I just, I can't. I can't. Hang on. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Boomer Naturals has face masks, and here's the thing. They have adult sizes, and they have kid sizes. If I sound like I'm emphasizing that a little too much, it's because I can't stand it when I see these parents who put masks on their kids, and they're clearly adult masks. What what is wrong with you? <laughs> Get your kid a kid size mask. It looks ridiculous. Either it's cleared halfway down their neck or it's up to their eyeballs. I saw one. I've told you this before. It was up to the little girl's eyeballs. Get a kid's mask for your kid. Go to boomernaturals.com. They have plenty of masks. They have good ones too. Comfortable, easy to breathe, 92.2% protection. Go to BoomerNaturals.com. That's BoomerNaturals.com. Don't forget to use the promo code JESSE20 at checkout. Get you 20% off. McEnany, I keep screwing up her name. She's the new White House press secretary. And she is absolutely taking no prisoners out here when it comes to the press. What would, what does the White House view as having, by election day, what does the White House view as the number of dead Americans um, where you can say that you successfully defeated this pandemic? Is there a number? 
Yeah, you know, every loss of life counts. We say 100,000, but like the president says, you know, one death is something to be mourned. Um, these 100,000 individuals have a face. The president takes this very seriously. It's why he lowered um, the flag to half staff for three days to remember these men and women. Um, I think, you know, Dr. Burks um, said it best when she said that um, in their estimates, they had anywhere between 1.5 and 2.2 million people in the U.S. succumbing to the virus if we didn't shut down the economy. The president made the very hard choice of shutting down the economy, so we avoided that extraordinary number. Um, every one death is too many. We never want to see a single individual lose their life. Um, but that being said, to be under significantly that high mark um, shows that the president did everything in his power and helped to make this number as low as humanly possible. When voters go to the polls in November and they want to judge the president on his response to this pandemic, what is the number of dead Americans that they should tolerate as ha and where they can argue that yes, he successfully defeated the pandemic. I think um, you know you're asking the wrong question. The right question is where did where did That's the data? Where did when I and I answered question. your question once, but if you ask it twice, it doesn't make it any better of a question. <laughs> and obviously, I mean, our media is detestable. They really and, and it's it's something that. It's so easy to hammer on if you're somebody on the right. It's somebody I've hammered on. It's something I've hammered on a million times. It's something I'm going to hammer on a million more times. But our media really genuinely is detestable. That, what kind of question is that? What kind of loaded, crappy question is that? In a question you would never in a million years, ask Barack Obama. That's that's the that's the worst part about it. I have had this argument with people before. Well, I should say a discussion because I don't know where I stand on it. The press has been detestable for a long, long, long time. They just have. But I have made the argument or had the discussion, I can't decide what hurt the media's reputation worse. Was it how they loved on Obama, or how they've trashed on Trump. Neither have looked good. I, I, they, uh, their treatment of Obama was nothing short of embarrassing. Do you remember one of his first press conferences? I believe it was one of the guys from the New York Times asked Obama what has enchanted him most about the office. <laughs> what a dork. <laughs> but... But think about just their coverage of, of this coronavirus. Think about what they've done. Think about, and I'm going to go off on this tomorrow. I want you to think about the almost universal decision by the media to lecture you about wearing a face mask, to go out to all these different events. Are you wearing a face mask? Look at all these people not wearing face masks. They're not social distancing. They're not. Look at these people. No face masks. They're not social distancing. So when MSNBC got busted like this, it's a little hard to hear, so pay attention. Uh, it was one of the best things ever. They're interviewing their field reporter, and he's staring in the camera. Of course, he's wearing face masks, and you can hear him describe, you know, the horror all around him. And then some wonderful citizen walks by and he calls him out. 
Perry, you are in Lake Geneva, Washington. I've been following you on Twitter. I've seen you out there today. Um, it, it seems like you might be one of the only people wearing a mask and, and practicing social distancing. I think people felt like the Supreme Court made the decision here in Wisconsin that it was time to open up. But you can see here, just around. Nobody's wearing them. Nobody's. Uh, the there you go, including the cameraman. <laughs> Some guy walks by him as he's pointing it out. It is, uh, dude, your own cameraman is two feet away as you point everyone else out and he's not wearing them. And this video is all over online, too. The guy took a video with his camera and comes back, actually, and even says, half your crew's not wearing them because it's more than just the cameraman there. We had that video of that lady from CNN, I think it was last week, sitting there with her mask on asking questions in the White House, you know, briefing room. And the press conference ends, conference ends, and there's a camera in the back. And as soon as the conference ends, president walks out. She stands up, takes her mask off. <laughs> what have I told you time and time and time and time again? None of what you see is real. Everything is performance. Everything is a show. Everything. Don't forget it. M. I would stop beating on it if so many people weren't still buying it. Even people on the right. How much of this COVID-19 garbage did you buy in the beginning? Well, the press lies all the time. Of course they lie all the time. There are a bunch of lying liars who lie, but, well, right now they're telling the truth. Nah, they weren't. Delta Rescue has been doing it for 40 years. Let me say that again. Delta Rescue has been doing it for 40 years. 40 years they've been saving animals, and I just cannot stress enough how much that matters. All these new charities pop up all the time. You know, I used to work in the nonprofit industry, and do you know what it's like there? I'm here to tell you, on top of all the scammers, There are so many that start up and they have a great idea and they have a great cause. And there are so many great causes out there, but they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to spend the money they take in and therefore they end up wasting the dollars of the people who care about the cause. When you have someone who's done it for 40 years, they have figured out how it's done. Stop wasting your money. Go to deltarescue.org slash jesse. That's DeltaRescue.org slash Jesse. Get involved today. Breaking. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says that Hong Kong is no longer politically autonomous from China. People, do not fret. Do not worry. We are going to get through this together. We are about to, we are about to enter some wild times. Instead of worrying about it, embrace it. 
It's about to get crazy. But do you want to live a boring life? Do you want to live in boring times? I don't. I want to see it all. And we are about to see it all. If you missed any part of the show, you can find it on Google, Spotify, iHeart. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave an I leave a five-star review. Email me, jesse at jessekellyshow.com. That's jesse at jessekellyshow.com. We have all kinds of stuff we have to tackle tomorrow. And probably have some fun while we do it. That's all. Jesse Kelly show. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I, I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. Oh, that's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Chew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, you get 10% off. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. A couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.